Welcome to Hebrew Hits. I am so excited for today's episode because it is 9-11. I have the opportunity to speak to the 9-11 survivor, Moshe Moskowitz, about his story. I am hearing it for the first time, and I am so excited for you all to hear it as well. You're listening to Hebrew Hits. I'm your host, Malia, and I'm so excited that you're tuning in to this show because that means that you want to succeed in life and you do not want to fail. Many of us go through such difficult challenges in life, and it's up to us not to fall victim to them. It's up to us to rise above it and to succeed. I sit down with people who have gone through real big struggles and show that they overcame them and are super successful today. It's what you do with what you have that makes a difference. Hebrew Hits is presented by TMC. Moshe, welcome to Hebrew Hits and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much, Maya. And yes, it's an honor to have you as well. So tell me about your story. I don't know anything. So I would love to hear all from the beginning before 9-11 and what happened. Okay, great. Thank you. So um, whenever I tell a story, I have to remind people that the way we view terrorism in America was really like an offshoot of that day. So when I tell the story, people are like, oh, well, you know, you heard the Lord's bang. Of course it was terrorism. Why don't you run? So that only happened because of 9-11. So just keep that in mind that, you know, the mindset was different when that day started in America. Um, so I, I worked on, and the other thing to keep in mind is that I wasn't religious. I was slowly becoming religious. So a and lot of things I do. Today, what's that? How old were you at this time? Uh, so I was born in 76. So I guess I was 24, right? That's 25. There you go. Good you math. Were 24. You were not 25, religious. 25. Actually, no, I was 24. It was, it was just three days before my 25th birthday. Wow. Okay. So, well, now we know when your birthday is, but so you're 24. <laughs> you were, I'm assuming you were not married. You were not religious and you were working in the Twin Towers. Exactly. Exactly. So I was working at Fuji Bank on the 79th floor. And just to give you an idea of how high 79 floors is, a few months before uh, 9-11, I was at work early, and one of the people in the office said, you should come to the window, you should take a look at this. I'm like, okay, I come over there. And the clouds were actually below us, and you could see the, um, the shadows of the two buildings on the clouds below us. So like that's how high we were. Um, and you know, people would say, well, did you take a picture of it? I'm like, let me also remind you in that time that your, your camera, your calculator, your flashlight, your phone, all these things were like six different devices. People didn't walk around with everything in one little device in your pocket. So I didn't have a camera with me because I didn't bring a camera to work, as most people did back then. So, so that's how high we were. Uh, so just to give you some background. Uh, so then the story starts that the, um, the first plane hit the other building. And even though it hit the other building, we felt the impact in our building. Our building shook for a few seconds. And again, people, I'd say people were run out immediately. We didn't run. We, we knew something happened. Um, but I don't think terrorism was the first thought. And we thought like a, like a small plane or something went into the other building. You know, it was okay. But it wasn't a reason to, to go run. And then... I remember looking outside the window and seeing like, uh, I mean, you're probably too young. Do you, you ever hear of like a ticker tape parade? A what? A ticker tape parade? Never. No. Okay. So it used to be the, the thing that when a team won the championship, 
they would be um, paraded through the center of the city. They had this like back in 86 with the Mets and I guess the Giants, I think, one too. So okay. they go through the middle of the city and they throw like, like scrap piece of paper off the, off the buildings, et cetera, et cetera. So I remember looking outside the uh, windows and you saw all these people flying by, like a ticker tape parade, and except there's like fire attached to some of the paper. But again, it wasn't like it's time to leave. Like it was like something's wrong, what but head. What's that? What was going through your head at the time? Uh, going through my head is like maybe it was a small plane or something. It, it, terrorism was not going through my head. Terrorism was not going through my head. That was not. It wasn't on the radar at this, this time. But then, then uh, Malak, an angel, uh, James Allerbridge, he worked for Fuji Bank. And he went floor to floor of Fuji Bank. I think we were floor 79 through 84, 85, something like that. And he went floor to floor on his own saying, leave now, leave now. So he actually had seen the building, had seen the plane hit the other building. Uh, so, and not only that, but he was there, most people don't know or don't remember that this was the second time the Trade Center was attacked. So yeah. he was there for the first one also, uh, but this time he saw the plane hit the other building, so he knew this wasn't like, uh, yeah, this was a serious thing. Ooh, I'm already getting the chills. <laughs> well, the story gets better, or worse, however you look at it. Worse, it gets worse, I of course. I mean, this, uh, so at that point, he said, leave, leave now, leave now. And so we left, we started going to, we went to the stairwell. As I get to the end of the stairwell, Someone says, oh, at least the lights are on this time. Again, that was a, a flashback to the first time in 93 when they had to exit the entire building in the dark. Um, so we're leaving, and it's, uh, I guess you equate to like a fire drill at school. People aren't taking it, you know, people are moving, but no one's like running, running, like we have to get out of here. Uh, so then we're walking down from the 79th floor, and then we get to the 44th floor. And if you've ever heard this, Maybe you heard this. If you never heard this one, this will blow your mind. Get to the 44th floor, and the only announcement I hear that day, the only official announcement for the Port Authority says this. It says, building one has a fire, building two is safe. You can return to your desks. Now, again, it's, building one has a fire, building two is safe. You can return to your desks. And you know, I know a, a woman I worked with, Alicia Levin, and what I heard was that she was on the bottom floor, she was safe. She heard that announcement. She went up to her office to get her purse and called her parents and that's where she was when the plane hit. So that, that was the, the only official announcement. Uh, personally, I, again, <laughs> we weren't thinking terrorism. I left the stairwell, I walked over to the elevator, I stood in front of the elevator. And I'll tell you, if I got in the elevator, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. You know, I, for a reason, Ramon Shalom didn't want me to go in the elevator. Um, if I did, <laughs> we're not here together right now. Um, got, just explain, the elevators got stuck? No, no, the elevators, the second, the second floor was fine. The second building was fine. The elevators were fine. I, I just decided not to go back up to my office. People were going oh, back. The elevator yeah, back yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I got it off. Because I, I hear the announcement and you, you, you think... This is an authority. You think this, they know what's going on. That's another thing to remember that because this was the era before uh, smartphones, I had a little Qualcomm phone. If, I don't know if you know what that is. Uh, I had, before smartphones, okay. So 
we were walking down essentially in the dark. People at home watching the computer, watching, I don't even know people watching live stream at the time. Everything was on TV probably. That they were watching the, build, the, the planes going, they were watching the fire. We, they, almost, they knew more than we did. We were on the inside. But because we had smartphones, we, we weren't really being you know, up to date on what was going on. So, yeah, of course, if I had seen the, 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 the fires from the first building, I never would have thought. I would have said, that's a big fire. I'm not going back up. But again, I didn't see that. So yeah, I, but I don't understand why the guy who made the announcement didn't get the proper information. Because it was, it was before terrorism in, in America. You know, I, I imagine the person that knew that, made that announcement, uh, one of two things. They, they didn't know it was terrorism. They know, or they probably thought it was a plane, a big plane, that went in by accident. They probably thought it was an accident. They probably thought it was an accident. They probably knew it was a plane, but they didn't think it was terrorism. And there's no way they thought there was another plane coming, obviously. So they thought a plane crashed, it's a crazy thing, but it happened. So there's a big fire and uh, okay, you know, the buildings are far enough apart, I guess it wouldn't affect the second building, whatever. Um, so I, Baruch Hashem, obviously I, I didn't go up, I didn't go back to my job. And then um, I got back in the stairwell. And again, that was at the 44th floor. Then I get to the 33rd floor. At the 33rd floor, is when the plane went through uh, the second building. It, uh, if you've watched the videos, the first plane went in more straight, second plane went in diagonal. So the second plane took out more floors than the, the first plane did. So, I mean, also parenthetically, I mean, if you want to try to look for little, little miracles, I always say there's three things that are the difference between 3,000, which is obviously horrible, every, every life is horrible, and 100,000 100, perhaps. One, is that the planes hit so high in the buildings. The first one hit like the 100th floor or whatever, the second hit 79th, or you know, if they would have hit them right in the middle, that would have been worse. If they were late in the day, remember it's still early in the day, so everyone had not been at work. And the third thing is that they were still 17 minutes in between the first plane hitting and the second. So, chas you know, if they all hit almost the same time in the middle of the day, in the middle of the building, I mean, I guess you've been looking at 100,000. I don't know how I don't know how many people were in the towers. I mean, that's my, my guess. So, I mean, there were some silver linings, you know, miracles that it wasn't, obviously, it was horrible, but it wasn't as worse as it could be, as horrible as it could be. Um, I mean, your story is a miracle. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, um, oh, so, so we get to 34 floor. At this point, the plane had hit the second tower, it crashes through the five, six floors of Fuji Bank, including going through the 79th floor, which I had just left 17 minutes earlier. Every time I tell a story, I'm like, I, I'm like, did this really happen? So I have a little pack of stuff I talk about, and I print out at one point the timeline of the time the building, the plane hit, and it was 8.46 and 9.03. So I'm like, okay, when I say 17 minutes, it was literally 17 minutes after I left, the second plane went through my floor. Um, at this point, but I mean, the impact, I guess these planes go 500 miles per hour. So the impact is so great, even though I was on the 33rd floor and I had the 79th, I you know, do the math, 46 floors. I still fell over for half a second. I mean, I fell over for half a second. I wasn't sure if I was alive or not. Uh, Cause I had a flashback that I had remembered somebody told me, I think it was my best friend, that the plan of the first tower, the first attack on World Trade Center, 
they wanted to knock one building into the other. So in the back of my mind, I thought that's what was happening at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, so I got up, I realized I was still alive. Yeah, obviously it was a loud noise, everything. Um, and again, I wasn't religious. I, I didn't look like this. I didn't have a beard. I didn't wear a keep. I didn't keep kosher. Um, and I had a flashback. I had a real flashback at this point to uh, probably about 20, 25 years earlier when I was in reform school. And I remember they taught us the Shema. And they taught us you know, basic Shema. And they said that people say this while they're on their deathbed. So at that point, I, I started to start repeating the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Shema Kana, Shema Shema Oh, just the first six words. That's all I know. And you words. still remembered it. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, again, at this point, I was becoming solely religious. So I was going to shul sometimes here and there. So just the first six words. I mean, it's pretty basic. I, I didn't know anything after six, six, six words, probably. But that's all okay. I said. But then, here's the greatest thing. It's an amazing thing. It's amazing. Just, just, we read just this three weeks, two, three days ago, Pasha Shoftim. So there on the spot, Rashi says, it says, Shema Yisrael. Shema, Rashi says, and again, at this point, I never heard Rashi. I don't think I've ever heard of art school, probably. So, and Rashi, 900 years before, had said this. He said, the recitation of Shema, it's Kadai, it's worthy that you received if you're in danger. I'm paraphrasing Rashi. It sends you, that's what it says, he words of the Kadai. It's Kadai that you'll be saved. So, really, really, 900 years later, those words of Rashi were true. I think they were true, in my case. That saying Shema is perhaps what what brought me here today. Um, again, I'm not going to say, who knows, but again, Rashi's words are, you know, when I learned those words a few years later, when I became religious, I'm like, whoa, that was, yeah. you know, that's pretty crazy. It's really, really crazy. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so at this point, uh, people were walking a lot faster. People knew we were in trouble um, and we just wanted to get down. The stairwells, I believe, were about three people wide. People just kept walking as fast as we could. And unfortunately, at the same time, that we're walking down, we see policemen, and uh, probably not policemen, probably just firemen coming up, of course, and many of them probably never came back down. Um, when we get to the bottom floor, when we get to the bottom floor, I get a call. And you're from walking my, down. You're not in any elevator. You're yeah, walking. no, just walking down, walk, walking down, walking down. And it was when calm? Get, like, what, was, what was it like to be with all the people walking down? People just wanted to get out of there. <laughs> Again, we, we didn't know the extent of it. People at home knew so much more than us. We, right. But I'm saying now for, if you had a smartphone, now if you had a smartphone, people would be looking and like trampling people to just rush, rush. But right. It wasn't, was, what was it like? Right, right. So it's it probably Brooklyn we had smartphones then <laughs> because we would be stuck watching the phone or near your light. We, we know it, we'd be trampling each other probably. Uh, and also cell phone, regular cell phone was so patchy. You had service, you didn't have service. So... You know, people weren't really connecting. Um, maybe some people going down did talk to people on the outside and knew what was going on. I, I knew it was bad. I, at least everyone knew it was bad at this point. No one was kidding themselves that it was not dangerous. So we're just trying to get down as fast as we can. When we get to the bottom floor, I get a call from my best friend since kindergarten, which is a, <laughs> a thing in itself to have a best friend for so many years. And um, he was calling me from California. And he actually, when I took this job, he told me I shouldn't take the job because he said that this is the number one terrorist target in the world. And I said, you're crazy. He said, I'm telling you, don't take a job there. So yeah, so anyway, obviously he was right. Um, but I get down, I get down and he calls me, I get through, he gets through and he's like, you have to leave now. And I'm like, I'm leaving now. But then we got disconnected. 
So he thought that meant I was leaving the 79th floor now. So when the planes, when the towers collapsed, he thought there was no way I got down all those floors from the time I talked to him. He didn't realize that leaving now meant I was actually on the way out. So I get to the, the floor, we walk through, and then I remember we got outside, and as you expect, everyone's there watching. It's New York, everyone's watching. And I remember people were talking about that um, there were people jumping. I remember that they, they said there's people jumping. And I remember, I like that's not something I want to see. I, I wanted to kind of, in my mind, just get a quick look of the holes in the building. You know, for whatever reason, I said, I just want, I turned back for half a second. I just wanted to like get that image of looking up with the two gaping holes in the building. That's all. And of course, <laughs> you try, I tried to avoid seeing people jump. And of course, the next day, the stupid newspaper in New York has someone in midair and then on the front page. Like, I don't know who, who does these stupid things. I mean, but anyway, yeah, so unfortunately um, I didn't look. And um, I get across the street and there's a, another flashback. There's a payphone there. And, um, oh, cool. I, a payphone, yeah. And, <laughs> so, um, but the, but I, there was a long line there. And I, I went up. I said, listen, everyone, I was up there. I was up on the center floor. I need to get in touch with my family right now. And uh, they let me get to the front of the line. And I got in touch with the operator, got in touch with uh, my mom's office, who could tell uh, the whole family I was, I was okay. Um, and from there, I ended up going to the Upper East Side, to uh, my uncle's house, to uh, spend the night there. And you know, walking through the city that day was crazy. There's so many rumors. People had rumors that the White House was hit, that the Senate was hit, the Congress was hit, everything. No one knew what was going on. It was, it was complete chaos. People thought like the world was ending. It was really... Did you have Google back then or no? Was there Google? I think so. But I mean, I think Amazon also sold books, books back then. <laughs> I mean, like, I think that's a, back then, I think Amazon only sold books. So I'm not sure what Google did back then. I think... Okay, because I'm wondering, you could have Googled, like, was the White House also hit? Yeah, no, but back then, like, there was, like, barely... I don't know if people had cell phone service. I mean, I had internet on their phones. Right. A phone was a phone. So, like, I, I don't think my phone, I don't, I th- you had text messaging. I don't think you had anything else on your phone. So, uh, right. it's, it's such a different world. I mean, I'm just thinking, like, I'm literally, like, my entire body has, like, the chills just listening to your story and how you got out. Like, it's literally a miracle. And obviously, we're going to get further in your story. But have you ever been, like, nervous to go into, like, big, 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 big buildings? Hours? I don't go downtown, really, <laughs> unless I have to. I don't go downtown. Um, I'm not nervous to fly. I, I guess, yeah, the, the kids, you know, know, even though sometimes it doesn't matter, that I, if you, like, you want to say, like, boo, I, I jump a lot. Like, I don't, I don't, I've had a nightmare. I don't have nightmares or anything, but I, I do get scared very easily. Like, if, you know, a kid hides around the corner and says boo, and they know that they shouldn't do that, especially to me, but they, you know, they're kids, and they think it's funny. But, um, so, uh, I'll jump, I'll jump, I've noticed that. Um, at 9-11, I've gone down, well, I ended up having to take a job there a few years afterwards. So I, not in 9-11, but I had to take the path. And it was, uh, my office, I think it was in World Trade Center 7 or something, one of the other buildings I had to go through sometimes. So, but other than that, like, if we're just driving and ways diverts down downtown, and then I look up and I like see the towers, I'm like, I just want to get out of there. Right. I just want to. I don't want to be down there. I know, you know, no shaker. I have 
no desire to go down downtown. If I never go down there the rest of my life, that'd be fine. That makes total sense. It's extremely traumatic what you went through. And I'm just hearing it. And I'm like literally getting like the chills throughout my entire body. I said that already because that's like the feeling that I have. And I don't know any other feeling that I am feeling right now. Just like hearing it. And you actually went through it. Um, did you have any close friends or coworkers that passed away? Right. The one woman I mentioned, uh, she was like on our company uh, softball team. Um, The other friends I had, ironically, that the guys I used to hang out with from work, none of them were in the the building that day. They all had different bank meetings and stuff. So we worked our bank. So there's meetings in the um, in Midtown. There's there's different bank meetings. One guy was on his honeymoon in Hawaii, and he said like it was weird because he woke up in the middle of the night and he put the news on, and all the news showed was planes going to building, building falls. So here he is, wake up in the middle of the night, and he thought those two things happened like right away. It took him a while, he said, to realize that there was some time elapsed so people really probably, you know, could have gotten out. So he thought like no one got out for sure. And then later he realized that no, there, you know, there was time and that you know, most people from Fuji Bank did get out. Yeah, for sure. That's, I mean, it's amazing that you guys were able to get out. But how, how long after you actually got out did the buildings collapse? You have to look at the timeline. I don't know. I really, I don't know where it was. People say, where were you when the buildings collapsed? I'm like, I don't know. I just kept going and going. You know, um, like a day, like there were just tons of smoke and you just didn't. Yeah, because I, I mean, I walked about, I got to 25th Street and then I got a ride. Some like bus or something was taking people just further away. So I got a ride from 25th to 50th. So... Yeah, um, I, I honestly don't even remember where I was when I found out the building collapsed. It could have been when I got to my uncle's house, or um, I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, I wasn't like anywhere near there. I don't remember. He, I you were like, it, I'm so. getting out, and I'm getting out for, for like far, yeah. far away. I um, got out, I just kept walking. I only have, he's my, my uncle's the only family member in, in New York. I'm like, that's where I'm going, I guess. Did the man that warned you all to leave, did he survive? Oh uh, yeah, so here's a great story. So he, he survived, but after uh, after like um, 9-11, after right afterwards, you know, I obviously you want to connect, contact him and say thank you. And there was a rumor, someone started a rumor, a horrible, horrible rumor, that he didn't want to be contacted at all. That he didn't want to be contacted, that he wanted nothing to do it. He just, you know, he didn't want the, uh, you know, to, to be a hero. He just wanted to be left alone. So... I, I, I honor that foolishly. Then comes the 10th anniversary, and you know, 10th anniversary, they make a big deal of 9 11. Um, I said to myself, this isn't right. I mean, I'm now married, I have kids. I said, how can I not think the guy that you know, saved my life? I mean, obviously, the bonus saved my life, but he was, he was a Schliach, 100% Schliach. I said, this is not, not right. So I said, you know what? A few on LinkedIn. It was actually on LinkedIn. A few clips, and uh, easy to contact him. And I said, "Are you the same James Outerbridge that worked at Fuji Bank? He on nine eleven? He's like, "That's me." So now he said, "Like, what do you say to this person?" Yeah, you know, he saved your life, and that's essentially what I said. I said, "I don't even know what to say to you." I said, "You saved my life ten years ago. Your actions are the reason I'm here today. Your actions are the reason I'm married." Your actions are reasons I have kids. Like, I, I was just like, and he was so touched. You know, I mean, he had, it was very hard for him to experience both towers. He, I mean, he was in the first time and this second time. So he actually had said that 
me reaching out to him actually helped him get through some hard times. But then the best part about the story is now we have a very good relationship. So much so that since then, uh, we were blessed with my wife and I, our 10th anniversary, our 15th anniversary. We made two uh mitzvahs, and him and his wife are the, have been the guest honor at every event. So we said that every event we make, God willing, weddings, the invitation will always say that him and his wife are the guest of honor. It's just, I, it's, it's so partial. I don't even know, like, it's like, not even like a shyly, it's not even that question. Like, how can we not make them the guest of honor? Like, you know, and there's no, like, no one's gonna get jealous. Grand, no one, the grandparents are gonna say, we should be the guest of honor. Like, there's nothing without him. Without his actions, we're not having these events. So, um, and then I really felt bad last year because I, you know, I always contacted him on 9-11. And last year on 9-11, I sent him a text, all this thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, the kids you know, on, their, on their grandparents' birthday wanted to text them. I'm like, pick up the phone and call. I said, oh my gosh, I sent a text? I'm like, who am I? I sent a text, I picked up the phone. I was apologizing. I'm like, I'm so sorry, I can't believe I sent you a text. He said, what are you talking about? So I, no, so, uh, yeah, so we, we t- I'll call him uh, next Sunday, or well, this will air on 9-11, I'll call him on 9-11. And, you know, again, sometimes I, before or after the call, I'll send him a, a picture of the kids, usually like the first, you know, the first day of school, because again, I'm like, what? there's nothing I can say to you. I'll call yeah. you and thank you, but this is, I can't put into words. I, I, here's a funny story. Maybe I told this to him. I don't remember I even told this to him. Okay. He one time contacted me, like in the middle of the year, meaning the middle of the year, meaning far away from 9-11, because that's like our, our bond. Like, and he said, I need a favor. So I'm thinking, you know, what happens if he needs, like, say, $10,000? I said, with four kids, 2500 each, it's a pretty good deal. So he just needed me to verify to the 9-11 commissioner or something that he was there that day. So I'm like, I told my wife, we saved $10,000. <laughs> but no, so yeah, we have a very, very uh, a special bond, for sure. And um, yeah. I, I mean, there, very, what do you think of someone that saved your life? Not so many people can say that they have someone that actually saved their life. Right, right. So, but I'll also show you that Karsatov has no end. There's no end. I mean, Karsatov is something that it goes on for generations, generations, year after year. I mean, yeah. it's because, again, I have every minute I have, every second I have, I'm talking to you is a result of his actions that day. That's incredible that he was able to do that. It's really, really incredible. How did 9-11 affect the rest of your life? Okay. Because now you're religious, and now you're married, and you have kids. I guess in summary, in summary, so at that point I wasn't religious. I had some things happen in my life that I was starting to become religious. Um, at that point, I said, you know what? I want to go to Birthright to Israel. I went to a beautiful program called Live Note, 100% religious program. I went there. I wanted to go shortly afterwards, but there was a fatata. I went a year later, and. I kept progressing upon my, my Yishkai in that year. By the time I got to Israel, I knew for sure I'd be fully religious. Um, not necessarily the day I got back, but I knew for sure. Um, so I, I'd say it's always hard. It's not like I woke up the next day and say, oh, you know, right after 9-11, say, you know, let me put on to fill in, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't like that. It's more like, you know, through learning and through uh, going to shul and keeping kashrus and keeping mitzvahs, you know, I realized that 9-11, for me, for me, again, everyone encounters different situations in life and responds to them differently. So for me, I realized that, listen, life is short. You know, like, what, what do I want to get out of life? Like, you know, I mean, what do I want to take with me? Do I want to 
be the best this, you want to be that. I mean, ultimately, again, it's not like I woke up one day and wrote this whole manifesto, but it was like, like I said, you know, I realized I want to have a, a connection with the Bona Shalom. I want to have a connection with my heritage. I want to have a connection with Torah mitzvos. And, you know, that's because God gave me this ability to have this extra life, so to speak. He gave me ability. So, I mean, after every Shimon Esri, I mean, every Shimon Esri we're talking about, you know, four times on Shabbos, five times on Yom Kippur, three times every other day, except Yantav, of course. After every Shimon Esri, the first thing I do, you know, because I have a long list of things that I talk and ask the Shimon for, but I always thank him for saving me physically and spiritually. Physically is obviously 9-11. Spiritually is, you know, growing up not religious and becoming religious. And it's, that's Lushen, that Lushen, English. I'm not saying, I thank you, physically and spiritually. After every Shimon I say, I'll tell you, I, even before I daven separately and privately for my wife and our kids, and, you know, a nice little thing I do is I, I always say, I actually think, I, I try every day, every day in that moment to thank Hashem for our, my wife and kids individually, to not take them for granted. But even before I do that, I... I Dobbin for James A. Outbridge and his family. That, you know, that always that they should have what they need, that they should be healthy, that, you know, they should have shalom, they should have peace, whatever it is. That, you know, even before I dobbin for my own family, I dobbin for him. Um, you know, because I guess I had a connection with him before I had a connection with my family. But, you know, it's just, you know, very important that, uh, you know, I, I want to, again, Carson Tov has no ends. And, yeah. you know, tefillah has no ends. So, you know, even if you can't be with someone physically, you could always be there through, through tefillah. Is he um, a Jew or no? What's that? Is he a Jew or no? No, no. He's not, he's not Jewish, but he's religious. He has a connection to God. He definitely has a connection to God. Yeah. Um, oh, so what are the uh, lessons I could say? One is, uh, you know, not to take things for granted, that life is very short and you don't know. And, you know, if you have something in your life that you want to do that's meaningful, you know, don't wait. Don't wait. Go for it. You know, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And there's always going to be roadblocks. So don't say tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. You know, Hayom. I always tell the kids. I, one of my favorite words that I, I think I'm, I, I just make up and tell the kids is Hayom is the best word. It's my favorite word. Because if you have something you want to do, by tomorrow it already went stale. Hayom. You get, start right today. You know, go exercise. Hayom. You know, uh, some other lessons. Uh, try to, you know, try to see the Hashem and everything. You know, when I speak to schools, I'm speaking uh, Friday at our, our son's school, and then Monday, God willing, at our daughter's school, at two of our daughter's school. Um, I also try to stress that, you know, 9-11, everyone says, oh, well, you know, you, there's your favorite story I've heard of Noah Weinberg tell, that two guys come to him, and one guy's like, you know, we were, me and my friend were in a forest, and like a python or a snake wrapped himself around, wrapped himself around my friend, his neck, he was about to die, and my friend yelled, Shema Yisrael, and the snake leaves, and my friend becomes religious. And Rabbi Noah Weinberg said, what about you? He said, what about me? It happened to my friend, it happened to me. <laughs> Why should it affect me? Oh. So that's what I'm saying. When you hear like a 9-11 story, and you say, wow, this guy affected someone. I said, no, people, not everyone was in 9-11, but everyone has a quote-unquote 9-11 story. If people want to look, they can find those moments when God was talking to them, when God led them there, when God put them on the bus with someone, there's some stranger they were talking to, said something, or they had a friend in class, or they had a Rebbe, or they had a teacher, or whatever it is, like my best friend of 40 years. You wanna know where we became friends? One day in kindergarten, I forgot my lunch, and he gave me lunch. And we're friends 41 years later. True that he didn't give me lunch, I think he gave me lettuce, but okay, we'll call it lunch. 
Okay, we joke about it. He didn't even give me a full lunch. He gave me some lettuce. Okay, but we became friends. It worked, you know. So, you know, that was the Yad Hashem. That was the Yad Hashem. That, uh, you know, another, sto- another story. It sounds stupid, but I was doing a, a jump rope class in um, half hour away, 45 minutes away. And on the way down the elevator, I spilled gallons of water. And of course, I was very upset. Whatever, whatever. I'm driving home. I realized that on my path, there was a car that was overturned. There was a bad accident. And it was, the accident was so fresh, the police weren't even there yet. And I said, you know what? It all clicked now. I was delayed. How long was I delayed for? Maybe five minutes. This accident probably happened in the last five minutes. Whoa. So I'll give you another example. I'll give you another one. That we're here, we're renting this house. We were doing some work at our house. And it's taking a little longer than we want, right? So anyway, uh, you know, again, it's taking longer. But on my path to school in the morning, I go a different path because... Because we're living here, if I was going from our house, I would go a different path, right? Two, three months ago, I don't remember anymore, probably two months ago, early in the morning, I got out very, very early, pitch black, I, I'm going out. I, I see a car, literally, like, it looked like, I think it went into a brick wall. Like, it's just right against the, the, this church. All you could see is just blinkers on. You couldn't even see anything else. And, you know, I ended up calling 911, and it turns out that uh, from people I know that I probably see the person's life, that you know, the guy had to take four people. I'd be taking take him out. He had to be put in an incubator, and so like I'm like every time we think, oh wow, you know, we were in this house a little long. I'm like, no, it, it's worth it. I think we saved a life. We see, you know, so okay, so this is taking longer, but I think we saved a life. How is that not worth it? Um, I'll you give you one everything thing. through Yad Hashem though. Like your glasses, like different people wear different glasses. Some people wear like shades or whatever. Your glasses are literally your whole mind is seeing Yah Hashem and seeing Hashem through like your life. I, I try, I try. And I think part of it is because I'd lived through 9-11 but again, but we could try to find those 9-11 exper- uh, things. Uh, I'll tell you one more lesson from 9-11. This took a while to understand that, um, I don't know, my wife said it, we figured it out together that uh, I, I'm the type of person I really try to, I, I don't understand the idea of just like sitting around and relaxing. If you need to sit around and nap, fine to re- rejuvenate. But like just to like waste time, I don't like wasting time at all. And um, you know, my wife tells me people do need to relax. They need to take breaks. They have to do this. So yeah, I start my day very early. I go to bed very late, and I try really maximize. I try maximize as much as I can. Um, so I think also that was a function of 9/11, realizing that subconsciously that you know, life is short. Life is short. So you know, if you want to accomplish something, you have to put your energy towards it. It's not going to happen on its own. Whatever you want to accomplish in life, it's not going to happen on your own. You know, but, but the doctrine for excess, obviously it's not going to happen alone. I mean, it's not going to happen, but you also it's not going to happen if you do yourself. So you have to bring Hashem with you with everything you do. On, I don't do anything on the secular day of 9-11 because, again, I tr- I don't, you know, they, they, the day was created at night. So I, I only follow the Hebrew calendar. Even when it comes to my secular birthday, I follow the Hebrew calendar. So um, on 9-11 secular, I don't do anything. But a question came up, what should I do on the Hebrew date? A few years ago, I spoke with Arav, and you know, he didn't think it was so, I should make a, a public seum. You know, and a day when it was a national tragedy, to make a public seum is probably not the best thing to do. So I spend the uh, entire day learning, that's what I do. So I take the Hebrew date, I spend the day learning, uh, it works out good this year, it's on two Mondays I think, so I don't have carpool. If I do have carpool that day, my wife has to drive carpool. I, you know, this, and, and no matter what it is, the day stops in our household. 
um, because I say this is for the bonus home. This is not for me. Today that I'm giving back to the bonus home. I have to show my courage to, 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 him, to him too, more than anyone. So, you know, I don't think if anyone needs me in the house, that day no one could bother me. And uh, I don't, again, it's, it's, I'm giving it to the bonus show. It's not for me. Wow, I love that. That's so incredible that you can do that, take an entire day off. Um, one question that I wanted to ask you about you becoming religious was, did your parents have a problem with it or your family, or they were just like so happy that you were alive, they didn't care what you did? Right. So interesting. So what, what started the process is that, um, now you're getting more than you bargained for. And my, when I was 13, my parents divorced, and my dad remarried a non-Jewish woman, and he has since started practicing a different religion. Um, he actually became an ordained uh, deacon. But I'll tell you one thing, this is, the most, this is a miracle in itself, that although my father's an ordained deacon and I became religious, it's a miracle upon a miracle times a hundred that we have a great relationship to this day. So yeah. it's, a, it's, all, it's, a, it's more, almost as big as miracles me surviving 9-11, that my father and I have such different religious beliefs and, um, and still have a wonderful relationship. So uh, I, don't, I don't take that for granted. I don't think he does either. Uh, so, but the question was, how did they take to be, so um, I guess my father, I guess, you know, he, you know, he became closer in his way. So, uh, you know, I think he saw value in me becoming religious. And, um, you know, my mother was, I think there's always growing pains when people have kids who become more religious than them. Uh, but, you know, she, I think, has seen the beauty. I mean, she comes to us for all the Yom Tovim, and, um, you know, she's very respectful, and I think she appreciate, appreciates it, too. Like she says, it's, it's not for her, and I'm like, I say, not yet, but okay. So, I, every year for my birthday, she's like, what do you want? I'll buy you any safer you want, anything. I said, there's only one thing I want. She's like, what? She's like, you have to come for Shabbos. So, Aww. So, uh, what's that? Do you have any siblings? We have a younger sister, yeah. So. And what is she like? Uh, she's wonderful. I haven't convinced her to be religious yet either, but uh, no, but we have a wonderful relationship, really. And uh, our kids love our kids. So, and everyone comes for all, all the on top. You know, they either come for one meal, for, they come for one cedar, they come for one meal in the sukkah, one meal in Roshana. Um, so, yeah, yeah. One last thing that I want to ask you. Okay is what was the first thing that you did when we when you reunited with your family after they knew that you survived and that you were physically okay was it like a giant hug was it a cry like what did you do <laughs> it's probably a hug but i don't i don't remember i don't i don't remember um i remember that friday that uh you know i went out to starbucks uh, not starbucks yeah, it was starbucks to uh to get one of the drinks i like that I didn't have kosher ingredients, but I wasn't keeping kosher back then. So, but um, I remember that. Oh, I remember I went with my mom to Barnes and Noble because I was before you know, before I was religious. I said just to, like to, to read a lot. Not that reading's bad. I just spent my time reading, learning different stuff now. Um, but yeah, I think it was also a few days later it was Shana. So you know it was very it was very moving. Again, I was not I didn't work that shul. But, you know, it was a different aura around everyone. Everyone that year, I think, was just different. You know, even no, religious, not religious. I think religious was, I think Rosh Hashanah was less than a week later, I think. And you celebrated it when you were not religious? 
we celebrate it means different than I celebrate. <laughs> it means, uh, you know, you know, you might get to show uh, a little and, you know, it still means you drive. Yeah. But not, not the way you celebrate now. But, um, you know, we can have a whole talk about becoming about true, but that's a whole other topic in itself. Yeah. No, I think it's I think it's amazing that uh, like your story is so incredible. Not only did you survive 9/11, but as you said, Hashem saved you physically and Hashem saved you spiritually is a beautiful thing. And I mean, just like to be reunited with family and knowing that you're safe and that you're okay is so beautiful and that you have a beautiful family now and your business jump into shape is going well, thank God and like you know, it's so it's so many years ago, but it still brings us so much emotion when you talk about 9-11 because so many innocent people were killed that day and so many precious souls. And you see how your life is. Like, imagine all those people that could have survived if this didn't happen, how many more beautiful souls there would be. So I also want to take the time now to just, like, remember those people that did pass away. And um, I just, like, hope that nothing like this ever happens again. Amen. And I want to thank you also for being here and sharing your story. I know it's not easy to share something so traumatic like that, but I know that the value that you are giving over is amazing um, and so inspiring and so moving. And I'm going to probably, I have these like little sticky notes that I have in my room that I hang up. And I think I'm going to make a big one that says Hayom and just like <laughs> stick on there because it's very, it's, it's, a, it's such a small thing that, that you can remember, but it's such a right. powerful takeaway which is Hayom, like get it done today. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm right, very, very honored to have interviewed you. We, we should make little uh, magnets together. We'll make car magnets together. I love that. I will, we'll discuss that after this, <laughs> after we, but I appreciate you taking the time and thank you so much for being on Hebrew Hits Podcast and sharing your story. It's a real honor. Thank you so much, Maggie. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. And you can go check out Moshe Moskowitz on LinkedIn and how can they check out your website, jumpintoshape.com? Oh, sorry. Jumpintoshape.fun. Go check it out so you can start jumping and um, yeah, get your exercise started. Thank you so much and have a great day. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs)